Hello everyone, this is Isabel Cortez and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. When I was around seven, I had a nightmare while asleep in my room and so I went to sleep in the living room with my aunt, who was crashing with us at the time. I always felt safe with her and while the couch was small, she made room for me and I snuggled in to get a good night's sleep. Living in Los Angeles, it was fairly common for cars to be driving up and down the streets at all hours of the night. So when a car revved its engine and woke me up, I didn't think anything of it. I looked around the room, cursed the bus, car, or motorcycle that woke me up, and tried to close my eyes. But something caught my attention. Something illuminated by the headlights of a passing car. A person. A girl. Sitting at the kitchen table, right across from me. Having two sisters, I didn't think anything of it. Maybe one of them got up for a middle-of-the-night snack, or maybe they noticed I wasn't in the room and went to go find me. But something didn't seem right. Even in my groggy state, I could see that there was something wrong with the girl. For one thing, the light of the car seemed to pass right through her. I could see the refrigerator and the chair she was sitting on through her body. She had one hand placed on the kitchen table, the other laid delicately on her lap. And when I followed her body up, something was missing. A head. The space above her shoulders was empty. A stump of a neck sitting proudly on display. I blinked my eyes rapidly, willing the apparition to go away. But blink as I might, she was still there. Then I followed her hand on the table and noticed that resting on the mat, the same clear plastic mats where my mom placed our home-cooked meals and afternoon snacks, was her head, and it was facing me. Milky, pupilless eyes met mine for what felt like an eternity. I couldn't look away, and she wouldn't look away, so we continued to stare at each other until I gave in to my fright and closed my eyes, pulling the covers over my head. I counted to 30 in my head. 30 seconds of forcing my heart to slow down, breathe, and rationalize what I had just seen. When I reached 30, I pulled the covers off of me and opened my eyes. And there she was, head placed firmly back on her neck, jagged red line of demarcation to show where it had been separated from her. She stood inches from me, so close that the tip of her nose barely grazed mine. I remember white eyes, luminescent skin, and recognition. She didn't go out of her way to frighten me. She didn't even speak to me. It seemed, at least to me anyway, that she wanted to see me. And she wanted me to see her. It was about the recognition. She wanted, no, needed, to be seen. Now, you're probably wondering what I did next. Well, what does anyone do after seeing something like that? I screamed. I screamed so loud that I could feel my lungs shaking from within my chest. I reached my hands out in an attempt to push this ghostly girl away, but when I thrust my hand out, there was nothing there. She was gone just as quickly as she had come, and I was stuck there sobbing, trying to explain to my frazzled aunt what had just happened. In the week following that event, I asked myself multiple times why I had been the one to see her. 
Why me? Would she come back? Would it happen again? My mother and father both explained to me that things like this tended to happen to people in our family, and that for some reason, the children are always the ones that are affected the most. Children, my mother explained, are more susceptible to seeing spirits because of their very nature. I can attest that throughout the years, my ability to see or sense these ghostly things has quieted down, but there was a time between 8 and 13 that I felt like it was happening all of the time. And now as an adult and an avid student of the mysterious and supernatural, I find myself asking, can children see spirits better than adults? And if they can, why? Blair Robertson, a psychic medium, recently did an interview with Romper.com where she was quoted in saying, I believe that we all have the ability to experience spirits. Young children don't necessarily have an increased ability, just innocence that allows them to experience spirits without bias or filters. They haven't been taught that you can't see ghosts or there's no such thing as ghosts. Because they have no limiting beliefs or blocks, they experience the connections powerfully. Children, unlike adults, view the world in a specific way. Many of them are just experiencing the things that make life worth living. Their minds are open. It is this openness that gives them the ability to see the world in waves and colors that the average adult can't. That makes them more susceptible to seeing ghosts. They haven't been socially conditioned to believing that ghosts and the ability to see ghosts is something taboo. For much of our adult lives, we're trying to fit in someplace, whether it's at work or socially with friends. We want to start carving out our independent places in society, and saying that you can see ghosts turns you into an outlier. Many spirits wander through the world in a haze. They are stuck between this world and the spirit world, alone, confused, and sometimes angry. When they come across someone who can not only see them, but is willing or eager to speak to them and interact with them, then they're going to take full advantage of that. As adults, the willingness to see ghosts gets pushed out of us by the idea that we will be singled out and possibly ostracized, so ghosts will be less likely to present themselves to us. Children, on the other hand, are still willing to see them and interact with them. If after listening to that, you're asking yourself, why would a child be willing or even eager to interact with a spirit? Well, think about it. Most kids don't actually know that that's who they're playing with. To them, the thing hanging out in their room, playing with them and talking to them isn't something to be scared of. It might just be their friend. Their friend that according to everyone else is imaginary. The debate surrounding the validity of imaginary friends is a long one. Child psychologists believe that imaginary friends are just that, imaginary. They are playmates created by children in their first attempts at branching out and socializing. And many of these trained doctors will say that it's perfectly normal and even beneficial. But parents around the world have stories of their children interacting with these so-called imaginary people and having odd and sometimes frightening interactions. So ask yourself, is your child's friend actually imaginary, or are they playing with someone that you simply can't see? Dr. Alita G. Angelo Santi, a child and adolescent psychiatrist at NYU Langone, 
gave an interview with Refinery29 on this exact subject. She said, Children are hardwired to learn through imaginative and pretend play, and therefore they can slip between reality and fantasy much more easily than adults. It's because of this easy slip that they have a harder time discerning what is real and what isn't. So for the parents who believe that their kids might be playing with something a little more complex than an imaginary friend, Dr. Angelo Santi wants you to see that to your child, their imaginary friend is real. They're real because they believe that they are. Dr. Angelo Santi also says that while an adult might dismiss something they see quickly out of the corner of their eye as nothing, or have a reality-based explanation, children might insist they saw a ghost. Now this can explain one of two things. First, the fact that kids misinterpret reality because of their limited scope of the world. They see things, but process them differently because they haven't acquired the kind of life experience that is needed to see the situation for what it actually is. Or second, that kids see things for what they actually are. An adult will rationalize to themselves that they don't understand something. If I were to see a ghostly face staring back at me from a mirror, or a figure in the corner of my room, I would immediately go about trying to come up with a rational explanation. I have been conditioned as an adult to think logically and realistically, even if what I saw was definitely a ghost. A child won't waste their time doing that. What they see is what they see. They have no reason to lie because they still haven't been taught that seeing ghosts is odd and not normal. A ghost is a ghost. Why lie about it? Intuitive healer Dr. Kim Pierano, who holds a doctorate in acupuncture and Chinese medicine, spoke with the website TheEveryMom.com to discuss the misconception that children don't always understand what they're seeing. She said, Kids are more susceptible to ghost sightings because they have a much greater sense of awareness than adults. This leaves them subject to picking up on energies and events that go unnoticed by most. We tend to have a belief that because our kids can't always communicate their thoughts, that they are unaware or unconscious of what's going on around them. This is anything but the case. So, are all kids more likely to see spirits? Or are there some who are more predisposed to it? Studies conducted by Clarkson University suggest that children who are bullied or exposed to dangerous situations are more likely to have paranormal fantasies. This is a trend psychologists also found in adults with a history of childhood trauma. Psychologists will say that this is a trauma response, a way for their brains to process the trouble in their pasts. Parapsychologists will say that this is because spirits can sense their vulnerability, the delicateness of their souls, and therefore are attracted to them. Whether that's a good or bad thing depends on the situation. There are other paranormal experts who believe that a child's ability to see spirits might be hereditary. The sensitivity to the supernatural isn't as random as one might think. There are whole families who have the ability to see ghosts or communicate with the dead, and they pass this ability along to their children. When people move from childhood into adolescence, this sensitivity weakens, and once they fully reach adulthood, it almost all but disintegrates. However, that leaves their children to pick up where they left off. The story you're about to hear is that of a father who didn't believe his young daughter when she told him that a spirit was hanging around in her room. That is, until something terrifying and violent happened to change his mind.
Ronald Balk watched as the ambulance took his neighbor's lifeless body from her home and hoped that the lights of the police car wouldn't wake up his daughter Nancy. He didn't want to speak ill of the dead, but Mrs. Levin was an ill-tempered and surly old woman who had a habit of yelling at Nancy whenever she was playing in the front yard. It didn't matter if it was the middle of the day or if she was being as quiet as a five-year-old could realistically be, Mrs. Levin always managed to be disturbed by the commotion that the little girl created. But now she was dead, and Ronald didn't know how to feel about it. Should he have been kinder to her while she was alive? Should he have done more to actually get to know her instead of judging her? He sighed. Well, it was too late now. Daddy, what's happening outside? He heard his daughter ask from behind him. As a young, single father, there were certain situations that he didn't exactly know how to handle. This was one of those situations. But he and his late wife had made a pact to each other that they would never lie to their daughter. So he steeled himself and tried to find the words to say. You know Mrs. Levin from next door, he said delicately. Yeah, she said, rubbing her eyes. Well, she's not with us anymore, he said, hoping that she would catch his meaning. Yeah, she is, she replied. I just saw her in my room. Ronald shuddered. His mind immediately raced to the worst possible thoughts. What if she had seen the coroners with Mrs. Levin's body? What if she had seen her face before they zipped up the body bag? Did you see her coming out of her house? He asked, but was afraid of the response. No. He shook off some of the tension on his shoulders. She had probably been awoken by the police lights and in her sleepy state had imagined the old woman there. Honey, I'm sorry. I really don't know how to say this, but Mrs. Levin died. Nancy looked towards the window the blue and red lights lightly illuminating their living room. I wonder if she knows that, she asked no one in particular. Ronald gave a slight chuckle and walked his daughter back to her room before heading back to sleep himself. The following morning, Ronald was shaken awake by his daughter. Daddy, she said, frustrated. What? he asked her, trying but failing to mask his irritation at being awoken so early. Mrs. Levin is in my room, and she won't leave me alone. Ronald's eyes bolted open. What did you say? He asked her. Mrs. Levin is in my room, and she won't leave me alone, she repeated. She keeps scratching me with her nails, and I've already told her to stop, but she won't. Panicked and half asleep, Ronald jumped out of bed and ran to his daughter's room, but when he got there, there was nothing to see. Nancy was close behind him and searched around her room. I guess she must have left. I told her I was going to tell on her, Nancy said, climbing back into bed. She fell asleep almost immediately, leaving Ronald confused and panicked at her door. It was 7 a.m., and he was not going to be able to go back to sleep, so he set out to start his morning routine. Later on in the day, Ronald decided to ask his daughter about the strange incident. Nancy... Why did you say that Mrs. Levin was in your room this morning? She looked up from her coloring book. Because she was. Duh. Ronald chuckled. But she passed away last night, remember? Daddy told you she had. I know that. And you know that. But I don't think she knows that, Nancy replied nonchalantly. 
I tried to tell her this morning, but she just got mad at me. He didn't know how to respond to that, so he dropped the topic and went back to his laptop. When Nancy got picked up from her play date, however, he took the opportunity to call his brother, who was a child psychiatrist. It's honestly nothing, his brother said. Kids deal with death in different ways. Remember her imaginary friend, Mr. Mallard? Yeah, he said, recalling the imaginary duck. Okay, so he showed up around the time that Annette died, right? Yes. Ronald didn't like to think about that difficult period of time when his daughter would only speak to Mr. Mallard about her mother passing. He had wished that she would open up to him, but at the time, he was given the same advice that he assumed he was going to receive now, that this was her way of processing death. This is how Nancy is processing the neighbor's death, his brother parroted. Okay, so what do I do? He asked. Nothing. As long as she doesn't take it too far, it should fizzle out on its own. Ronald didn't know what taking it too far constituted, but he had a feeling that things were going too far. Over the next couple of days, Nancy leaned into the idea of Mrs. Levin. He would go into the kitchen and all the cabinets and cupboards would be wide open, random dishes smashed on the floor, while Nancy sat at the kitchen table. It was Mrs. Levin, she would say. He would go into her room to put her laundry away, and all her clothes would be scattered on the floor, door to the closet wide open and off its hinges, with drawers in disarray. It was Mrs. Levin, she would say. And the pictures she would draw were more than enough to put his teeth on edge. Page after page of an emaciated old woman, hair wild and gray, hands long and thin, mouth open wide like a snake unhinging its jaw. Who is this? He asked after finding an almost full coloring book of the terrifying sketches. It's Mrs. Levin, she said, snatching the coloring book from his hands and hiding it under the couch. Is that what she looks like to you? He asked. Nancy looked around as if to ensure that they were alone. She nodded yes and motioned for him to come closer. He met her on her level and she whispered in his ear. She says that she doesn't like us. I think she's just mad that she's dead and we're not. And that's not our fault. I told her that. That's why she keeps messing up my room. She's mad at me. That was enough for Ronald. He didn't want to play along with the Mrs. Levin delusion anymore. Nancy was to spend the night at her grandparents' house on Saturday. So when that day came around, he invited his brother and his sister-in-law to dinner so that they could help him figure out how to get his daughter out of the fantasy. While they sat around the dining room table, drinking wine and rolling over solutions, his sister-in-law Catherine made a strange suggestion. What if she's actually seeing Mrs. Levin? Ronald and his brother shared a look. I'm serious, she said with a laugh. Didn't you say Annette used to talk about seeing ghosts as a kid? Maybe she passed that down to Nancy. Catherine, her husband said, ghosts aren't real. Nancy obviously just doesn't know how to deal with Mrs. Levin dying. Think about it. She's five, and two people close to her have died. It's a lot to handle. Yeah, but Nancy didn't even like Mrs. Levin, Catherine replied. I could understand that theory if they were close, or if they had some sort of a connection. But they didn't. Yeah, they kind of hated each other, Ronald laughed, draining his glass. Catherine stood up from the table and walked around the dining room. 
I'm not going to lie. The house does feel kind of weird, she said. Yeah, I might not be into this whole ghost thing, but the house is kind of off, his brother agreed. I actually thought that you had left the gas on when we walked in. The air feels off. Oh, ha, ha, Ronald said. Okay, guys, stop. No, I'm serious, Catherine said. Something's definitely weird. All of a sudden, her eyes went wide, and she clapped her hands with glee. Let's have a seance, she said. He didn't know if it was the wine talking or just plain curiosity, but he agreed to the seance, and before he knew it, his wife's novelty Ouija board was on his coffee table. The group sat cross-legged on the floor, four fingers on the planchette, and stifling laughter. We are trying to contact the spirit of Mrs. Levin, Catherine said in a faux medium voice. Mrs. Levin, are you with us? His brother asked. They waited a few seconds to see if something would happen, and when nothing did, Ronald rolled his eyes. This is officially the stupidest thing ever, he said. Hush. Catherine said. Sometimes it takes some time. She closed her eyes and put a serious face on. Mrs. Levin, we are trying to contact you from the other side. Why are you bothering Nancy? She's just a kid. Yeah, you hag, Ronald's brother said with a laugh. But before the others got a chance to join in, a loud bang rang out around them. They all jumped looking around the room to find the source of the noise, but unwilling to take their hands off the planchette. Mrs. Levin, is that you? Ronald asked seriously. Two loud bangs answered, as if to say yes. The hair on Ronald's arm stood up on end. The trio looked at each other, no longer laughing. Are you angry? Catherine asked. Another two bangs. At Ronald? One bang for no, and Ronald let out a relieved sigh. At Nancy? His brother asked tentatively. Two bangs. Ronald's skin prickled with anger. Why? He asked. The planchette on the Ouija board began to move violently around. Catherine read the letters out loud, and the answers horrified everyone. It spelled youth, noise, death, anger, brat. They were the disconnected thoughts of an angry spirit. Leave my daughter alone, Ronald stood up and shouted. Catherine gasped and covered her mouth as the planchette on the board began to move on its own. No, it spelled. No, 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 no. Ronald's brother threw over the Ouija board. At that moment, Ronald's phone rang loudly in his pocket, making them all jump. It was his mother-in-law. Hey, Alice, he said, trying to calm his breathing. Ronald, don't be frightened, but we're taking Nancy to the ER. Why? he shouted. Honestly, I'm a little confused. I had put her to bed, and not more than five minutes had passed by when I started to hear a terrible commotion from her room. I ran up the stairs to get to her, but she had locked the door from the inside. I could hear her crying and shouting, but I couldn't get the door open. Jacob finally picked the lock, and the room was turned upside down. Nancy was in the middle of the room with scratches all over her face. 
I think she might have tried to climb her dresser and it came crashing down. But she won't stop talking about a Mrs. Levin. Isn't that the neighbor that just passed? I think she hit her head. Either way, we're taking her to the ER so they can look at her scratches. Ronald didn't know how to comprehend what he was hearing. Ronald, I think you might want to meet us there, Alice continued in a whisper. It looks like fingernail marks. Honey, I think she did this to herself. Ronald left his brother and sister-in-law at his house, much to their discomfort, and drove over to the ER. Once Nancy was cleared, he brought her home and tried to get a straight story from her about the incident. She had said that she was having a nice time with her grandparents. Once it was time for bed, she crawled under the covers and tried to go to sleep, but noticed that Mrs. Levin was standing in the corner of the room. Nancy was confused. She didn't know that the spirit could follow her to her grandparents' house, but there she was, and she was angry. She began to hit and scratch Nancy, calling her a brat and telling her that the life and youth was wasted on her. Mrs. Levin was angry that she had been dead and even more angry that Nancy was allowed to live. Nancy put her hands out and told Mrs. Levin to go away and something in the force of her words shoved Mrs. Levin back. But the specter would not let up. She began to destroy the room, bringing the heavy oak dresser crashing down. Nancy dodged it only moments before it would have crushed her. When her parents stormed the room, Mrs. Levin disappeared. Ronald didn't know what to do, but he knew that he needed help. Nancy was going to continue to see the ghost of Mrs. Levin, and if he didn't do something to stop it, she would only make it worse, and it would get more violent as the time passed on. He contacted Catherine to see if she knew of anyone who specialized in this crazy sort of thing, and unsurprisingly, she did. She gave him the number to a pair of paranormal investigators who agreed to come to the house first thing in the morning. Michelle and Daniel Travers were not what Ronald had expected. He imagined hippies with long hair, smelling of sage, and toting crystals and incense. What he got were a couple who more resembled lawyers than anything else. Michelle was very no-nonsense when she set up her audio and visual equipment on the table. She interviewed Nancy and got her side of the story while Daniel spoke to Ronald about the Ouija board session. Why Nancy? Ronald had asked. Michelle answered without looking up from her equipment. You said her mother had a preternatural ability to see spirits, right? Yeah, when Annette was a kid. She said she used to see things all the time, but she kind of, I don't know, grew out of it. By the time that we met in college, it was more of a cool Halloween story that she used to tell instead of something that actually happened. Children are more likely to see spirits than adults because nobody has told them that it's weird to do it, Daniel explained. If I were to tell you right now that I see ghosts all the time, you would look at me like I was crazy. Kind of like how you're looking at me now. When we reach adolescence, we start to suppress that part of us to fit in. And once we reach adulthood, it's all but gone. Kids literally do not care what you think about the fact. They see ghosts and that's that. Unfortunately for them, however, most adults don't believe it because we've grown out of that world. Add that to the fact that her mother passed the gift down to her and you have an unfortunate combination, Michelle added. Will she always be able to see them? He asked, looking over at his daughter who was coloring blissfully in the kitchen. That's up to her, Michelle said. If she nurtures it, yes. 
If she chooses to suppress it, then no. She'll grow out of it, although she'll always be sensitive to the paranormal. When the duo was all set up, Michelle took Nancy by the hand and explained the situation to her. She and Nancy would go around from room to room, seeking out Mrs. Levin. Once they found her, Michelle would help Nancy push the specter out and force her to leave. Why does Nancy have to do it? Ronald asked nervously. Because she's the only one who can fully see her. I can sense her, but Nancy can see her. It has to be her. We'll watch from the monitors down here, Daniel said, pointing at the computer screen. Are you ready? Michelle asked. Nancy looked over at her dad, and as if sensing that she needed to be strong for the both of them, nodded and followed Michelle around the house. The living room, kitchen, and dining room resulted in nothing. Ronald's room was just as disappointing, but deep down, he knew where they were going to find her. Once inside Nancy's room, the camera view became fuzzy. Michelle, we're losing you guys down here, Daniel said into a headset. Can you still hear us? She replied. Loud and clear. Okay, that's all that matters. Ronald heard his daughter's small, shaking voice. Mrs. Levin, I can see you. You have to leave my house, she said. Through the microphone, Ronald heard a deep, guttural growling. He couldn't make out any words, but when he squinted at the screen, he could see a column of black standing in the middle of his daughter's room. Mrs. Levin, Michelle said, you can't and won't stay here. We can't allow it. You have to go. Another growl in response, and this time, Ronald heard Nancy gasp. No! she shouted. You're dead! I'm sorry for that! My mommy's dead too, but she's at least nice when she comes to visit me. Ronald's heart broke at this confession. Mrs. Levin, I banish you from this house! Michelle shouted into the room. Ronald watched the black mass pulsate on the blurry screen. It expanded and shrunk at Michelle's chant. Mrs. Levin, I banish you out of this house, Nancy's small voice joined in. Ronald watched as the black mass pulsated more violently. It expanded to the point of overcoming the screen, then shrank down to almost nothing. Animalistic growling rang out over the headsets. Ronald and Daniel covered their ears as the headset emitted high-pitched free feedback. Get out! Nancy shouted, stomping her feet. Get out! Get out! Get out! Finally, as if releasing all the fear that she had trapped within her, Nancy screamed at Mrs. Levin. Ronald watched on the monitor as the black mass quickly shrunk within itself and then violently imploded. The screen returned to normal, and Ronald got a clear look at Michelle and his daughter. She's gone, he heard Nancy say. Great job, Michelle said, high-fiving the little girl. Weeks passed by, and Ronald watched his daughter to ensure that the madness was actually over. When he was sure that it was, he refused to talk about it again. He understood that Nancy's abilities were something that he could not control, but he figured that if he didn't encourage it, it would go away on its own. Unfortunately, he was proven wrong when one Friday, right before bed, Ronald caught Nancy looking at a corner of her room for a bit too long. What are you looking at? 
he asked her. The man in the corner, she replied without looking away. Ronald turned, but saw nothing. Hollywood is riddled with films about children seeing ghosts. The Sixth Sense, Insidious, Poltergeist, The Exorcist, you name it. The one thing that these films all tend to highlight is the fact that children seeing ghosts isn't a good thing. The spirits all seem to be of the malevolent and sinister nature. But what if that wasn't entirely the case? What if some of these spirits are just lonely and looking for someone to talk to? Would that change your mind? Would you be okay with your son or daughter talking to them then? If anything, these movies give us something to think about. That being, maybe next time your kid tells you that they see something scary in the corner of their room or in their closet, believe them before something hellish happens. Thank you for taking this haunted journey with me today. If you want to hear more myths, legends, and scary stories, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Until next time.